We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Welcome back to Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty Network. Thank you for tuning in. Got a great episode lined up for you today. We're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics and something that I'm sure most of my audience definitely loves. We're going to be talking about guns, and I got an expert in the field, someone who's been on the podcast before, Salvatore De Janeiro. Uh, we're going to dive into talking about gun rights, how it relates to mass shootings, how we can put a stop to this madness. We're going to talk about red flag laws, all of that stuff. So stay tuned, and I'll introduce Salvatore in a moment. Before I get to that, though, I want to thank those of you who have subscribed either to the Finding Freedom podcast, which is my solo podcast feed where you get only these episodes, and those who have subscribed, of course, through the Lions of Liberty podcast feed, where you get all three of our shows. You get our really variety network with Mark's show on Monday and Brian's show on Wednesday. So I don't care which one you subscribe to. If you have trouble finding the uh, Finding Freedom uh, podcast, the solo feed, uh, just search Finding Freedom and my name, John Odermatt, and it'll pop right up. So I want to thank those of you who have subscribed and encourage you to please leave a nice five-star rating and a review. Um, It really does help with the algorithms. Let's get rolling with today's episode. All right. I am joined here by Salvatore De Janeiro. Uh, this is Salvatore's second time on the podcast. He was on, I thought it was more recently, but I looked back. It was episode 114 back in 2018, which with everything that's happened between now and then, uh, that feels like a lifetime ago. But uh, he's a firearms instructor and he's, he's writes everywhere. He has a He has a podcast. He has his own blog. And he's an author. He just released a book, 21st Century Minuteman, A Guide to Personal Protection and Self-Reliance in Contemporary America. My screen just went blank in the middle there and came back up. I couldn't finish the title. But uh, Salvatore, welcome to Finding Freedom. John, thanks for having me back on. Yeah, I, I it was 2018, and so much has changed since. But as it turns out, so much remains the same as well. I I listened to that interview, that that show that we did, and again, all, all the topics they just come up after every one of these tragedies that, like the one we recently saw. So a lot has indeed changed, but again, uh, a lot seems to remain the same, does it not? Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy. We 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 had this the the COVID lockdowns in the middle, which I think, um, and I'm going to get get around to here to you doing more of an introduction of yourself. But the COVID lockdowns in the middle, I think, woke a lot of people up to to really realize how little control we have over, you know, certain things in America. Are we able to actually, you know, work? Do we have to inject a pharmaceutical? Um, the, the whole masking thing, the lockdown of businesses, people lo- losing their businesses, losing their jobs. So I think a lot more people are awake and are aware and are more open to a lot of the ideas you talk about in the book. And 
uh, open to the need to be self-reliant, which we'll talk about. So, But before we get into all that stuff and talk about your book, introduce yourself. Uh, when people ask you what you do, what, what do you tell them? Right. So my name is Salvatore DiGennaro. I, I write for a number of the um, well-known firearms outlets online. I've written for, I write continually for uh, USA Carry. I've written for Concealed Nation in the past. I've been published on The Truth About Guns, Ammo Land, a variety of places. I also have my own blog called Reflex Handgun that um, focuses, uh, I would say, specifically on the defensive handgun. That's the overriding theme, although, again, I address a lot there as well, uh, greater themes of preparedness, etc. Um, firearms instructor, I've been in the field for a long time, been a serious shooter and instructor for a long time. I also wade very heavily into Second Amendment politics because I remind everybody that is the political fight of our time. Don't kid yourself, that is the issue that matters the most. Everything else hinges on it. So, you know, I, I weighed deep in, into that as well. Uh, the book I just published, ironically, I finished writing that book about, uh, well, I can tell you exactly when I finished it. I literally finished it about a month before COVID-19 was in full swing. So I mm -hmm. think I finished that in February of 2020, but I, I just sat on it and didn't publish it for a while for some reason. But uh, once I got around to actually publishing it, the only thing I changed in those two years in the book was I added some further detail to specifically the section on mass shootings uh, about some further details that I had on several of those events. That's the only thing that changed because even though we came out of COVID with everybody now as a prepper, the principles remain the same. So, you know, uh, the, the experience with COVID only reinforced what we should be doing to begin with, if that makes sense. Oh, that absolutely makes sense. And I, I think, you know, we've talked about this before on, on this show and, and, and Mark's gone into it on his show. And it really, going through COVID, is, I mean, it's changed people, a lot of people to the core. For example, Mark's moved out of the country. He's living in Mexico. I know people, you know, that have Moves move the state they're living in to try to get, you know, under a uh, a more free state government, a, a less intrusive state state government. Um, and it took as a libertarian, you know, a lot of the time back in 2018, 2017, 2016, we were talking about philosophy and things that could happen. And and when you see it play out in front of you, those rights just stripped away, and to see really how little power we have in in certain aspects of our life. It makes it real, and it makes it a lot less appealing to talk about the philosophy, and that stuff's all important. That's great. And it makes it a lot more appealing to talk about, well, how do we protect ourselves? How do we make it so we're not so reliant on these government institutions and we're able to um, control more so, have more control over you know, what we can control? So I want to get into that probably maybe the second half of the show. I want to start out talking about mass shootings. And in the book, you know, one of the things that you talk about is that, you know, I think there's this thought that mass shootings are kind of a new thing, but they've actually been around for, for quite a while. And you cited some older ones that, that really I wasn't that familiar with that I think go back to maybe the one was in the 70s or um, so. 
So and yeah, absolutely. So so it is nothing new. Now there has been an escalation in the frequency of them, and in the past decade, you've seen that decade plus. Now I'm convinced it directly correlates with the expansion of social media. Uh, just the escalation of frequency. With that said, it has been a thing for a long time. In fact, the first well-known and still the deadliest till now school attack was the 19-teens or 20s. I, I would have to look. I don't address that incident in the book, but um, a guy who was actually an, uh, an employee at the elementary school planted a bomb in the basement of the school and killed, I want to say, well over 30 kids. So, you know, unfortunately, this is nothing new. Now, if you go back to the 1800s, there was a well-known school massacre that happened with, uh, you know, a Native American tribe attacked some school, and, and that kind of stuff went on as well. So, unfortunately, all around the, the spectrum, you know, we, we have have a long history of massacres. You know, you look at the things that have happened to the native tribes. Uh, you look at the massacres that went on between whites and the native tribes. Okay, so this whole history of of massacres, unfortunately, is nothing new. You have seen an escalation in the past 10 or 12 years. I am really convinced that has a lot to do with the advent and use of social media because now every freak has an echo chamber that they're able to get into, right, and further fuel these these crazy ideas that they have to begin with. But to your point, it's nothing new. Uh, in 19, I want to say 66, um, you had the Texas Clock Tower massacre that happened in austin texas at the university a guy went up mm -hmm. to the top of that clock tower he killed 15 or 16 people uh again don't quote me on these exact statistics i go i address that in the book you know all these yeah, yeah. horrifying statistics that you've had in these instances so it's nothing new although it we have seen an uptick in the frequency which should lead the person who believes in self-reliance to take pause and say this is a more and more serious threat that you face anytime that you're in a crowded environment. Yeah, we've definitely seen an uptick in frequency, but I think it hasn't that uptick in frequency been a little bit distorted by the categorization Absolutely. of what is a mass yes. shooting? Yes, no question. So to your point, uh, and they've the, the mainstream press has been pushing this hard since Uvalde, Texas, is now, you know, they look at everything that is a gang-related shooting where uh, it used to be, you know, four or more people killed. Now it's like three or more people just shot and injured. They're counting that as mass shootings. And I remind your audience that the vast majority of mass shootings every year is gangster-on-gangster gangster Activity in places like Chicago and Baltimore and all those usual places that have so much firearms freedom. Oh, wait, no, I'm, I'm thinking of something different. That's right. Uh, yeah, all those places that are the most restrictive as far as gun rights go, right? That's where we see this play out all the time. But um, if, if you look at the, the more precise definition of what these mass shootings are they're they're most often a lone wolf who is going into a place of employment very often a place of previous employment we've seen quite a few attacks on houses of worship and of course unfortunately the issue with with the schools although again it's a lot less than the press would have you believe because every time a couple of high school-aged gangsters shoot each other in the parking lot of the school that's lumped in with mm -hmm. the school shooting statistics yeah, and I thought it was interesting. So in the book, and I would encourage people to definitely get the book because uh, Salvatore goes into much more detail on these individual mass shootings. And when you when you compare like, you know, like the, the Columbine attack to 
uh, the Boston Marathon, which wasn't a shooting, but was a, you know there was a mass mass casualty event, and, and comparing to to the Las Vegas shooting, where the guy was shooting from very far away, it was like 400, 500 yards away, very elevated. There's no chance you could shoot back, and you can't. You talk about the the different needs, really. I mean, if you're uh, the the Columbine school attack, of course, you'd like a teacher to have a gun to be able to to, to end it. The Boston Marathon. Like the people around there, the the people who put the bomb there were gone to be able to, you know, help to care for the victims, and then Las Vegas. Um, it's what, what do you do when someone's shooting at you from above? So can you kind of talk about the the need to really understand each each unique situation? Yeah, absolutely. So the more stereotypical active shooter events that you're going to have, if you're at ground zero when the threat presents itself and you have the option to neutralize the threat with gunfire that's obviously the thing to do but there's been many of these incidents where that is not necessarily the case so for example uh you know boston marathon bombing they planted an explosive device and they were out of there so in the aftermath of something like that the most important thing you can consider is how is your medical training do you know how to apply tourniquets do you know how to apply pressure dressings and keep people alive if you look at that incident in particular there were many injuries to the lower extremities, the legs, because of the way the blast was. Um, there were many amputations uh, below the waist. So do you know how to apply a tourniquet? Do you carry a tourniquet on you? If you're in a crowded environment like that, do you carry a day pack and have a full-blown trauma kit on you? This is a very important thing. And realistically, tra- trauma medicine is something in your lifetime you're more likely to use than you ever are to use your defensive handgun. How many car wrecks have most of us come across you know on the on the highway you know where maybe you have to help somebody out who has traumatic bleeding so you know take a basic stop the bleed course they're available all over the country that is one of the very few productive things that the obama administration did was they actually instituted uh the stop the bleed uh course so like local fire departments and all of that offer stop the bleed it's similar to cpr it's about a two-hour course they teach you how to apply a tourniquet how to apply pressure how to apply a pressure dressing better yet is take a t triple c course you know which is a full day thing shows you how to apply chest seals that kind of thing so it's not hard But, you know, some hands-on training with how to do that, you can save a lot of lives. So you want to consider those aspects beyond just being armed and being capable of shooting threats in the face, which is very important. (laughs) You know, if more of us made that a, um, uh, a part of our daily life, we'd see a lot less of these incidents happen, right? But consider that. Consider your medical, and you mentioned um, Vegas, which is a very perplexing incident until now. Uh, that is, again, we come back to medical, you know, have medical to treat you and yours. But also, when you go into an arena like that, that was such an unusual circumstance. He was 400 yards away and like 30 floors, 30 yeah. stories off the ground. You're not going to hit that guy with your handgun, obviously, right? So it's a matter of where are my exits? Where is cover? You know, uh, when you go to an audience, when you go to a big event like that, don't feel compelled to be right next to the stage. I hate that anyway, being clustered in, you know, uh, with thousands of people around you. Be somewhere where you can get to the exits. Be somewhere near cover, right? Most of these locations have pretty hard cover that can offer cover even against rifle fire. So you need to know your surroundings. No link-up points. Are you there with younger kids, but maybe teenagers, maybe not little kids who you have to be attached to, but hey, is your teenager there? 
there. We'll have a link-up point. If something goes bad, where are we linking up? Is that at the car in the parking lot or maybe across the street at the 7-Eleven, whatever the case may be? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's really good advice. And, I mean, when it comes to concerts, I mean, I'm guilty of this too. You kind of get in a state of mind where you just kind of just, you relax, you maybe have a couple beers and you're not thinking. And it's not that, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not that you need to be, you know, be stressed out the whole concert, but put some thought in when you walk in the place, look around. Okay. How do I, how do I get out of here? Maybe I don't want to be at the front of this crowd where I'm trapped in there. Maybe, you know, get back a little bit, get towards an exit and still relax, have a good time, enjoy the music, but have a plan. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's not a matter of being paranoid, you know, and the gunfighter thing, sitting with your back against the wall. Later in the book, I talk about this, you know, looking at a public place. And and it's literally a process that should take you only a few seconds. For example, you know, think of something more mundane. You walk into a restaurant, know who's there, see what they're doing, right? Uh, take note of where your exits are, take note of where the most likely place of threat will be, like usually that's the cash registers in most places, right? So you literally Mm -hmm. can scan your environment and within a few seconds say, hey, who's here? Do I see anything out of the ordinary? What is the baseline? What should people be doing? And do I see individuals not doing that? that make me say, hey, what is this person doing? You know, a guy sitting in a restaurant, not eating, not talking, and looking nervous, right? Something's wrong. Okay, uh, the best thing to do is just go eat at a different restaurant. You know, don't, don't hang around. You talk about big crowds, exactly. You walk into, have a good time at the concert or at the ball game. That's, you know, we, we have to live life, right? That's important, quality of life. But walk in and have a plan. Say, okay, if things were to kick off right now, what would I do? Where are my loved ones? Where's my closest exit? That's all. Mm-hmm. Just have a plan. You know, and certainly where you can be armed, be armed. So I wanted to get want to get your opinion on the, we were talking about Uvalde um, a little bit and what happened there. And this isn't the first time we've seen this happen. I believe Stoneman Douglas, a, a similar thing happened where the police show up and do not go in. Do do not uh, do not enter and actually try to to put down the uh, the shooter. So, what's your take on what happened there? And is this is this something that is this police training? Is this what they're trained to do now to to not go in? Yeah, you know the the thing is, I I have no I have no law enforcement background, so I don't mm-hmm. like to get too critical of what I see, especially considering that you see how these things always are. More and more information comes out over time. So um, even now, more information has come out, but every bit that comes out, it just looks worse and worse. So yeah. in this case, we can't say, oh, we don't have all the facts yet. Maybe we just don't know what really happened. At this point, we're saying, yeah, we kind of know what happened. And basically, they did not go in the way they should have. And then they're, you know, tasing and pepper spraying parents in the park parking lot. Mm-hmm. So, John, what it reminds me of is if you go back to Hurricane Katrina, and I talk about this in the book, uh, Hurricane Katrina was a major event for the psychology of this country because what we saw was the government will do nothing to help you, and then when they do show up, they actually hurt you. Okay, so in Hurricane Katrina, the, the local city government showed up and confiscated people's guns. Congress actually passed a, a, an act after that to say that cannot happen, right? Uh, but again, you, you, just, you can never trust these entities when things go down. Uh, uh, in this school incident, we see something similar, right? You see parents trying to get into the school, 
and the the authorities of the state are actually holding them back when they refuse to go in there themselves. So you have a breakdown. It's a social breakdown. Um, many of my friends who are ex-law enforcement say that a society gets the police that it deserves. And to a great extent, that's true. So if you look at the past two years of the defund the police movement, Police are now at the point, it, it's two things. Uh, we've, we've had, now there's a lot of things terrible that they've done and they should be held accountable for, mm-hmm. right? I am no bootlicker. I am very, um, I try to play fair with this, but I am generally, I'm generally not a big fan of law enforcement. I'll just leave it with that because I see too many of these instances go on. A lot of great individuals in law enforcement, but overall, I'm not a fan of the training, the lack thereof, should I say, and I'm not a fan of a lot of the things that go on, like, you know, no-knock warrants, no-knock raids, all of that, in, as far as I'm concerned, is completely unconstitutional and should go mm-hmm. away entirely, okay? So what we have is a combination of poor training combined with poor morale, because we've had a lot of incidents where officers do the right thing and the public hates them for it anyway, Okay, and it's combined now with this whole militarization, which, uh, quite frankly, I'm I'm opposed to. Again, if mm-hmm. if we got rid of no knock raids, then all of these MRAPs and armored vehicles and all that crap can go away. Because if your average officer has a patrol carbine in the car and he's got armor, and if he's trained, there's nothing he should face that he can't handle. Okay, and that's yeah. that's the truth, right? He's not in, he's not in a war zone, right? Yeah. Exactly. So so it's a combination of things because when I see those cops holding people back outside of the school and not going in themselves, I see a bunch of guys who are LARPing, right? Live action role playing. So you're standing there like a tough guy wearing armor and your rifle, yet you're not going in to solve the problem. And you know, I would ask people um, if you look at. Uh, well-known police officers of the past, in decades past, think of well-known gunfighters like uh, Jimmy Cirillo in New York City, um, and back before that, guys like Charles Askins and Bill Jordan on the uh, Texas Border Patrol. Those guys would never make it in the police force today, right, because they wouldn't last in the political climate. But I'll ask people, how long do you think it would have taken those guys to have gone in that school? And done what needed to be done, right? It, it, it's not even a question, right? They'd be in there and, and solve the problem. So we kind of get the police that we we deserve as a society, unfortunately. And we're starting to see that now in this incident, in the Parkland incident. We're, we're seeing that, right? So if the police force is about having people who just want the job and to collect a pension, and their priority is making it home at night, uh, mm-hmm. which is understandable. that You can say that when, hey, I had to drop the hammer on this guy who's trying to kill me because I am also a person who deserves to make it home at night. That's one thing. But that's not the job description, okay? When children are being slaughtered, your main priority should not be making it home at night. It should be stopping this maniac from killing children, you know. So we just we we've got the police we deserve now as a society. Sadly, yeah, I think we've got the police we deserve as as a society, and we've got the public school system we deserve as a uh, as a society. Not to say we should even have a public school system, but we do. So, uh, so, I, you so know, I'm on board. I'm on board with you, and and you know, I'll, I'll take it a step further. Uh, there was a recent study that shows that 90 percent of people in education. Uh, public and higher education uh, 
self-identify as left of center. And we mm -hmm. know that most of them are very left. So what you have is a population of people who absolutely hate personal responsibility, right? So you, you're dealing with the hardest segment of the population to get them to take ownership of their own safety and the safety of those kids in the place, whether it comes down to even keeping doors locked. Right. Yeah. Keep the keep the doors locked. Uh, verify who's coming in, you know, let alone uh, getting armed uh, staff and teachers in that place to be able to deal with these threats if they do make it in. Hey, taking a quick break here to tell you about a podcast you should check out from our friend Justin Campbell. It's called the Fact Check This Podcast. If you're fed up with fact checkers flagging everything as misinformation without actually backing it up, then you should definitely join Justin every Monday and Wednesday to fact check the fact checkers and to get the truth about what's going on in the world. Check it out everywhere podcasts are found. Fact check this. Yeah, and th that kind of leads to my next point. So, you know, a lot of people on the right, conservatives, libertarians, um, will say, well, what we need to do is we need to have, you know, e either armed security or armed teachers in schools and I, I agree. And for, I mean, the, the school that my daughter goes to, there, there's an armed officer or, or two that are there. My neighboring school district, the one that I grew up in, um, they're, they're so lefty progressive that they have officers there that aren't, that are, are not armed. They, they don't have a weapon. So what, what good is there for them to be there? So that, that's the problem. Like, yes, in, you know, conservative areas, you know, yeah, maybe you can, um, get it so teachers can be armed or uh, police officers can be armed to, to, to stop a threat. But in these liberal cities, they're not going to pass anything. So it's just going to stay a gun-free zone and no one's going to be armed to protect the children. Yeah, exactly right. And then coming out of this, okay, as the conservative areas now uh, secure the schools, we all know where the next massacre is going to happen. It's not going to, well, for example, it doesn't happen now where we know that it can be dealt with. For example, the counties in Texas that have the Guardian program, they've had that now for well over a decade. Uh, spoiler, Uvalde was not one of those school districts, right? But the school districts in Texas have what's called the Guardian program where they have armed and trained staff in those schools. They've never had an incident. And the entire state of Utah, who is the only state in the union that they allow concealed carriers to carry on public school and higher ed campus, they've never had a mass shooting. And they also have a program with specialized training that uh, school teachers and staff can carry. In fact, uh, on our show, the, the CCX2 show, that uh, is a combination between USA Carry and Concealed Nation. For those of you interested, it's every other Tuesday night. We A uh, few weeks ago, we had a... And is, uh, that, is that just live or is that also available as a podcast? No, it, it's, it's available. Like it, You can go to the Facebook pages or the YouTube channels for either of those sites and, and see all the back episodes. But we had an attorney on uh, who he is from Utah. And in fact, he's a professor at a university in Utah. And uh, he was discussing that, that they estimate any given day of the week in Utah, there are 60,000 people carrying a concealed weapon on campus. Do we see blood in the streets? Do we see people accidentally shooting themselves? Do we see teachers who decide, oh, they're just going to snap because they're having a bad day and kill everyone? We see none of that, right? Mm -hmm. We see none of those predictions. What we do see, however, is no mass shootings. You can, you can mm -hmm. research this. 
Look at Utah's history. There's no mass shootings. Okay, so there is a deterrence there that only comes from having non-uniformed people who are armed. Because what these guys want is they want to rack up the next record body count. So they're going in looking for 50 or more kills. A guy in uniform, there was a guy in uniform outside of Uvalde. And he did not engage the shooter. The guy just avoided him and went in a back door. Okay. Uh, same thing in Columbine. There was an SRO who shot it out with those two guys. Most people don't realize yeah. that. Uh, they just went to the other side of the school and entered. Well, um, the, the, the Uvalde shooting, the story started, the first information, as you talked about, how the information right. changes. Um, it started that he engaged with, with the shooter, but he did not. Right? Turns out he did not engage. Yeah. He flat out did not engage. He saw the shooter, but did not engage. So my point is, though, that men in uniform can be identified. They can either be avoided or they can be killed first. It's when you have people who are in civilian dress who may be carrying handguns, that is the dissuading factor because the guy wants to come in and rack up a body count. He does not want to come in and maybe shoot two or three people and then get shot in back of the head by uh, Miss Frizzle, the math teacher, right? Mm -hmm. That's what he doesn't want. So therefore, when you see the school districts that are going with armed staff, I guarantee there are not going to be attacks in those locations. There will be further attacks in the places that refuse to do so. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's a sad situation. It, so, it, uh, it, is, it is sad. John, the one thing I would, I would say, though, is, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm all for hardening the schools, and the best way to do that is armed staff and teachers. Uh, I also don't want to turn the schools into a prison, right? And there is pushback yeah. against that because we do have to stay realistic about it, okay? There are like 90,000-plus private schools in the country. Since 2012, since Sandy Hook, there has been, the real number is roughly 100 on uh, school ground, okay? Mm-hmm. So if you look at the statistics, your child is about 3,000 times likely to die in drop school any given day right we keep it in perspective uh an event like this watch and we have to do something about i would come back to you know when we talk about the pollution these give away our rights for something that is exceedingly rare occur giving up rights is not going to solve that so i do want to take a pivot from talking about mass shootings and bring up a topic that you talk about in the book, a mindset of self-reliance. And we talked about at the beginning, you know, what had happened, you know, COVID and lockdowns and all this stuff, uh, mandatory vaccination between the last time you were on the show and this time on the show. I'm, I'm curious first, did COVID, did the lockdowns, did that response change the way you think about self-reliance like it did many other people? Did it change anything? about how you look at this stuff? No, it reinforced it. Um, so one thing, though, it, it, it did uh, change for myself. As you look during the lockdowns, uh, I reconsidered, you know, staying stocked up on things that we may not have considered before that. Yeah, you need food and water and, and guns and, you know, you know, beans, bullets, band-aids, all that. But, yeah, you need toilet paper too, right? So, so th- those kind of things, I think most people will come out of the situation thinking at least that. Uh, I can tell you that something that it greatly reinforced for me is uh, I talk about it in the book, and I've talked about it many other places, and you will hear about this anytime you read the 
the, the serious prepper stuff. That is mm -hmm. having bug out plans. Well, that's very important, but you also have to have bug in plans being able to hold up in the home. And, you know, as we saw in COVID, most people, you know, didn't bug out. What's the point of bugging out anywhere? Okay, it's a it's a nationwide emergency that you just have to lock down at home. So I would tell people that wherever you live, and even if you live, you know, in an apartment in Manhattan, I don't know what you're thinking if you do, but, you know, if you do, you, you even if your primary plan for any kind of disaster is to bug out, right, to go somewhere else, if you have friends or family where you can go, or if you have property elsewhere, where that's great and you need those plans because there's many reasons you may need to flee the vicinity you also have to have the plan though to to hold up where you are where you live for an indeterminate amount of time because depending on what happens you may not be able to leave so you need both plans in place and i think covid at least to some degree really solidified my thinking with that mm-hmm uh, that's a really good point. And I mean, it's one thing I'm guilty of is, yes, we, you know, we have some food stored up and you know, have the toilet paper and things like that. But is it how, how long is it enough to last for? I, I think, you know, needing to, to double down on that to make it you know, could, could we make it 30 days if we needed to? Probably, but uh, I mean, it needs to be a definite. You know, it need, you need to need to have a plan in place that, um, yeah, we could stay our thirty days and not have to leave to buy food or anything and, and have enough water, which uh, I think that's something that really everybody needs to take a look at right now. Oh, absolutely. And and again, you know, the, the answer may be different for everybody, right? So depending on the resources around you, you may need to store less. But man, if you're in an urban or suburban area, my advice would be to at least have the starting point of being able to weather a crazy event where so that you don't have to go out, right? If you only mm -hmm. have two or three, like the average home, they've done studies on this, literally has only three days of food, in the house, which just blows my mind. I, crazy. I would I would say the absolute bare minimum starting point is have a month worth of everything your household needs to eat, mm -hmm. at least a month. That way you can weather these issues of, you know, um, and it doesn't have to be a pandemic, okay? Think of a natural disaster that cuts you off. Mm -hmm. Hurricane Katrina, there were areas of the city that literally were cut off for two weeks plus, so do you have water and food for your family for two weeks plus? You know, water uh, may be more a matter of having what you need to purify the water than actually storing it, right? You look at a flood, yeah, there's plenty of water, but you can't drink the water unless you purify it, you know? So consider that. Do I have what I need to make it so that I'm not helpless and I have to go, you know, line up at some kind of, you know, National Guard trucks bringing in food to people? Do you really want to deal with that? When a situation like that is unfolding. No, you want to be autonomous and independent. So that's one of the aspects of the overall mindset of self-reliance, like, like you're talking about, which I hit on hard in the book. Part of that overall mindset is being truly independent if things go bad. Yes. So what are, what are the components? You don't have to list them all, but, but some of them because you go into it in the book. What are the components of that self-reliant mindset? And other than, you know, we, we talked about prepping and food. Other than that, what, what are some things people need to do or should do to, to build that mindset? 
Yeah. So, I mean, where it starts, and, and this is something that's not new for me, certainly. I mean, I, I've been, I've been, you know, studying this phenomenon literally since I was a kid. I'll give you an example. And I think I mentioned this specifically in the book. When I was 12 years old, the Kylene, Texas, Luby's Cafeteria Massacre happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that event, a guy ran his pickup truck right through the glass of the uh, front of the place. He walked around murdering people for 10 minutes uncontested and uh i remember as a kid reading uh a witness account in the newspaper where the witness said yeah we just laid under tables hoping our turn wouldn't come and finally somebody threw uh, a table through a window and everybody started evacuating through that broken window and that really struck me that you know you have a whole restaurant filled with people and even if they're unarmed okay an entire restaurant just laying under tables waiting to be executed with what's going through the mind, I can't believe this is happening, right? That is what every single survivor of violence will report back. I can't believe it was happening. I can't believe it would happen here. I can't believe it would happen to me. I can't believe it would happen in a small town like this. So the first part of this whole mindset of self-reliance And I call it a mindset of self-reliance because, as you can see in the book, the whole self-defense and prepping aspect are one and the same. Like, you have to do both. If you don't do both, then you're wasting your time. What good does it do you to have, you know, 10 years worth of food in your house if you get mugged by the neighborhood crackhead and can't defend yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to have both, okay? So um, the mindset starts with accepting that it can happen to you. And again, to your point about COVID, coming out of that, I think the whole nation has a little bit better mindset where we realize, hey, this, this can happen. You know, there can be food shortages. There, uh, there can be, uh, you know, disruptions. And if you look at people who survive things like Hurricane Katrina, the mindset is there. Hey, this can happen to you. I don't care where you live. I don't care how small your neighborhood is. I don't care how friendly all your neighbors are. Ask Stephen Williford, the the hero of the Texas church shooting, who ran across the street to intercept that guy who was massacring people at the street. That town is literally a town with only 600 people. He literally knows everybody in the town. Okay, and he he was at the funeral of 25 of his you know neighbors basically, and he said, "Who would think it would ever happen here?" Right. So that's the first step. It can happen mm-hmm. to you. And it can happen anywhere, whether that's violence or, you know, a natural disaster, uh, the next pandemic, ready, micro or macro scale. It can happen to you and it can happen anywhere. And that's the beginning of, of forming that mindset is just accepting that. So, yeah, like I, I agree with you. I think many people now, at least who would be listening to this podcast, are probably nodding along with you saying, yes, y- yes, I agree that it can definitely happen here. So we talked about the, the food aspect of it a little bit. So from a protection aspect, at a minimum, you know, someone who owns a home, what do you think, you know, people should have in order to protect their home from a firearm standpoint? Yeah, I mean, firearms are a major component of this, right? Because when when things really get bad, you know, uh, there's this whole industry that caters to self-defense with alternate weapons, etc. But, you know, that's to cater to people who don't really want to commit, right? So if, Mm -hmm. if you're serious about being able to defend your home, to defend your family, whether that's for the average guy who comes in the night and kicks in your door to come rob the place, or for, you know, a major event of social collapse, right? Um, firearms are what we need to be talking about. 
And, uh, you know, even in situations where there's widespread social collapse, again, you think of Hurricane Katrina-type incidents, the handgun remains the centerpiece for what the civilian is going to be doing. And why I say that is... The power of the handgun is not just the ballistic power of it, which pales in comparison to a rifle or a shotgun, right? And anybody who's the least bit familiar with firearms realizes that. The true power of the handgun is that you can wear it concealed and nobody knows you have it. Ask Joe Biden about that. Joe Biden says that a, a handgun's going to blow out your Well, lungs. yes, the 9 millimeter can blow your lungs out your back. And, uh, you know, so uh, I'm still looking for that 9 millimeter ammo. I can't find it. I would buy a case of it if I can find it, but, but I can't. So, uh, but, but, you know, the, the handgun, the, the thing is, even if you're dealing with social collapse or look at the riots that we've had, et cetera, you want to be able to be mobile and you want to be concealed with your weaponry, okay? So the handgun really remains, uh, you know, I, I'm big into, like, the prepper fiction. You know, I don't know if you've ever read that stuff. Like, it's mm. it's all kind of similar. You know, it's like after, whatever the collapse is about, is it an EMP? Is it just a collapse of the enemy? Whatever. And then, you know, what, what the fiction gets wrong, though, is that the threat is always the same. It's like some kind of bike gang of, you know, like, hundreds of guys who are like a bad biker gang gang roving the the wilderness and like attacking people in their homesteads i mean if you look historically that's really not what happens but what does happen is as soon as things collapse whether it's just regional or you know an entire country the criminal element that's already there is now running wild okay Mm -hmm. so again the nature of violence is most often it takes you by surprise It may not kick in your door where you have time to grab your AR-15. It may take you by surprise when you're out working in the garden. Are you going to be wearing your AR-15? Probably not, right? Mm -hmm. But if, if, if if you're switched on, you'll be wearing a concealed handgun. So that is... That's the basis, okay, for, for the citizen self-defender, honestly, even for most law enforcement, okay? They, they have carbines in the car, but if you look at the vast majority of times, those guys need a gun to save life. It's the handgun they're wearing, okay? So mm-hmm. the handgun is really the focus. On top of that, look at fortifying your home defense with a uh, shotgun or rifle. You know, whatever, whatever. I, I think, I think if you're if you're serious about this stuff and want to be prepared for truly dark days as a nation we may face, you you should have a rifle and all support material for that. You know, AR-15, mm-hmm. uh, that that kind of rifle. We, we joked about that Joe Biden comment um, talking about handguns, but do do you think that they're legitimately, or do you think they legitimately will try to come after handguns in this country? It seems absurd. They would come. So they many. would come after. They would come after anything that they deemed capable of happening. They will take everything. They they there is the AR-15 is the gun they've demonized because they've always considered that the low-hanging fruit. The truth is they get no traction with that now because it's no longer low-hanging fruit. It's the most common gun in the country. There's 20 million of them in circulation, right? Mm-hmm. So the reason they've always gone after it, well, I think there's two reasons. I think leftists hate the idea that a citizen would have essentially the same gun that the uh, wards of the state have, right? So that is, I'm convinced, the main reason they hate it. Um, but 
if they could take every lever action rifle and pump action shotgun, they'd take all of that too. They'd take handguns. Uh, the reason that they get just less traction with handguns is every soccer mom living in the suburbs has a 9mm handgun mm-hmm. right in the closet for home defense. Whereas even that soccer mom may be in this stupid mindset of, oh, but nobody needs an AR-15, right? Leave my Glock alone, but nobody needs an AR-15, which, of course, is absurd. Some of the worst mass murders have been committed with with handguns. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that soccer mom may have been, you know, making, when was that, in 2018 or whenever, she might have been making videos, sign an AR-15 in half, but she still had her handgun in her closet for protection. Yeah, exactly. So they just get less traction with Mm -hmm. that, but absolutely. I mean, Biden is one of the worst anti-gunners that's been in our our government, unfortunately, for decades, right? So uh, he was one of the architects of the 94 assault weapons ban, and he's totally ignorant. Now, him... He's literally so stupid on the subject that I'm inclined to say, yeah, he literally just doesn't know what he's talking about. Now, people like Charles Schumer and these other leftist politicians know they're smart guys. I detest them, but they're smart guys, right? Mm-hmm. They, they have an agenda. Biden, I literally think part of the reason he's so anti is he's just the man literally has no concept of anything he's talking about, you know, but, but he's the exception. Most of them know exactly what they're talking about, mm-hmm. but they prey upon ignorance to push their agenda. So well, let's, let's talk about something seriously nefarious that's going on now that has both support on the left and the right with these red flag laws. Um, I just saw, I think it was the governor of Texas who was at the a GOP convention in Texas, and he was talking about red flag logs, and he got booed. So um, I, it, it, look, it looks like something is going to be passed. Um, I don't know if it'll get through the Senate Could and be, the House. It, but. Yes, it may be a watered-down version of red flag laws because the GOP now is getting enormous pushback from their base. Mm-hmm saying no to the red flag laws, uh, which is a completely unconstitutional construct. Okay, so what that would allow is, let's say that you have an ex-girlfriend, right, that Mm -hmm. you dated three years ago. She still hates your guts, obviously, right? So she decides to make a, oh, you know, I think he's a a danger to me. You know, he said, or whatever. And next, getting raided and getting your guns confiscated. That is what flag laws Mm-hmm. would allow for okay and needless to say anybody who has reverence at all for the constitution should realize that a really bad idea yeah i mean which i mean and this kind of goes back into when we look at what president trump did with uh banning bump stocks and re- really was not a friend to the second amendment no he was not with what he, he was did. he was not absolutely correct but still gets the support of the nra um, it still gets the support of you know conservative gun enthusiasts. I, I'm just interested to get your opinion because you're kind of someone. I mean, you're, you're, so you're, I'll very, tell you, you're very much I'll in the gun you, community, but, well, but I know I, you, you lean libertarian. So. Uh, yeah, well, so here here's the reality, right? We mm-hmm. we go with uh, what's the better hand to play, and that is usually the Republicans. If you're talking about gun mm-hmm. rights, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of rhinos, right, who will turn on us, but it is not baked into the Republican platform this civilian disarmament, which is literally part of the uh, Democrat uh, mm. platform, right? Now, there's some exceptions. There's some Democrats who are good on guns, but very few, just like most Republicans are pretty good on guns, some are not, okay? so But overall, as the two parties, y- your, your safer bet is the Republican Party for gun rights. Now, ironically, if you want to talk about the last um, 
president in our country's history that was truly pro-Second Amendment, no compromise, was, believe it or not, a Democrat, was John F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy, numerous times, Congress had approached him about signing bills, and he told them he would never sign anything that restricts the right of law-abiding citizens to arm themselves. He was the last president like that. Even Reagan, okay, had said that he was open to an assault weapons ban. Okay, none, mm-hmm. none ever made it to his desk to sign, but he had indicated he would sign it. Um, uh, Bush uh, Jr., I mean, I, I don't think anyone in your audience is a fa- Bush Jr. fan, so I don't think I'm going to hurt any feelings when I say he, he was not good either. Again, he was better than Carrie would have been, uh, you know, on, on guns, but, um, or who, who did he run against the first time? Was it... Bob Dole, right? The first, uh, whatever. I, so, I, again, yeah. we, we, we come back to the Democrats are just totally out of their mind with it. The Republicans are better for gun rights, but, man, a lot of the Republicans are squishy with it, too. The, you know, the Republicans, I hate to say it, many of them just will go whichever way the wind blows, you know. Mm-hmm. So if, if you want to make sure none of this stuff passes, be reaching out to those Republican senators. I think the red flags is going to fail. And if something comes out with it, I think it's going to be a very watered-down version. See, the thing is, we don't need that anyway, because there are means and ways to, you know, educate somebody, uh, you know, uh, okay, they're deemed a threat to themselves, etc. The the problem with red flags is now it just gives everybody, I mean, some of them, the way they're drafted, in some states, is like if your neighbor has a problem with you, all they have to do is make a call Mm -hmm. and say, hey, this guy's a crackpot, I don't like him, I think he's a danger, next thing you have police knocking at your door. That's absurd. It's an absurdity. Yeah, it's it's, it's scary stuff um, to see what can really happen with, with red flag laws. And I mean, it's, and so often with these shootings, when they start looking into it, oh, wait, but the FBI, this guy was on the FBI's radar. He'd actually talked to the FBI. And it's like, what's what's even happening here? And you could go down a whole different conspiracy rabbit hole with that. You, we'll, you can. So, so one thing I'll mention with that, John, and far be it for me to, to be sympathetic to the FBI for anything, mm-hmm. but, but we live in the United States. The FBI should not be able just to be throwing people in prison because, oh, he's a weirdo, right? You know, so, so there's that, too. So we've heard many of these. Uh, to me, it just reinforces the fact that if the state is going to deal with this, it's going to fail because the state fails, mm-hmm. government fails, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to be prepared to deal with this on an individual level and at a community level, right? If we apply mm-hmm. that to all of these places, we know these mass killings, over 90% of them happen in gun-free zones. There's a reason for that. They want no resistance. So mm-hmm. I would give your people the advice that if you want to be politically active in reducing mass shootings, An assault weapons ban ain't going to do nothing, okay? There's already 120 guns for every 100 people in Mm -hmm. circulation, so you will never disarm the criminal element, no matter what you pass. And I would would submit that even if you could, it's still a bad idea, because I I just saw a meme the other day, you know, by some anti-gun idiot. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's like a picture of the 19 kids from the school at Heaven's Gate saying, we come from a country where there's a right to guns. Well, you know what? I'd like to make a meme of the 150 million dead people from the 20th century of communist regimes mm-hmm. where they came from countries that did not allow civilian ownership of guns. So I would suggest that I don't care how many mass shootings there are. It is not worth. We cannot disarm. We cannot. Right. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, even if you propose it, oh, uh, 
or we'll get just magically the shootings will go away if we pass restrictions. We know that's absurd. Okay, uh, has have people stopped doing drugs with the war on drugs, right? So there are 120 guns for every 100 people in the country. There is nothing that you can pass that will disarm a guy who wants to do something like this. So therefore, the best way to deal with it is have armed people everywhere so that they will eventually realize that they are not going to rack up the next body count. They're going to get shot in the back of the head by, you know, some woman who's there, like what happened in uh, West Virginia. Did you see that, John, that incident of a guy, uh, he, he pulled a rifle out of his trunk to go shoot up a graduation party and a woman at the party killed him with her handgun. I did not see that. Wow, I missed it. It happened, yeah, you can look it up. It happened literally, I think, two days after the Uvalde shooting. So needless to say, the press wasn't so all over that one. Because the guy who pulled the the AR-15 out of his trunk was a convicted felon. So, oh, wait, a convicted felon? He can't buy a gun. He had one. He had a rifle in his trunk, right? And thank God this woman was carrying her concealed handgun, and she burned him down as soon as he got the first few shots off. He didn't hit anybody, and she killed Mm -hmm. him right on the spot. That's, That's awesome. That's the way we want to see it happen. And yeah. if it happens like that more and more often, we're going to see less of these, sh- these shootings. So one more question, and then I want to get your, get your plug so everyone can hear where to buy your book and your podcast and, and your blog and all that stuff. Um, so Concealed Carry, what are your, your top, top one or two favorites for Concealed Carry? I man, you know, so uh, ten years ago that would have been a lot easier. Now there's so much good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I can give you some principles rather than recommendations. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, go for how, how much how much gun does somebody want to commit to carrying? Now we have guns that are so small yet significant that they are very tiny yet very shootable and reliable chambered in nine millimeter if you want something small yet very capable look to guns like the sig sour p365 the um the uh springfield hellcat usually i'm not a big springfield fan there's been a lot of issues with their guns this one is an exception though the hellcat has been really solid um and uh the mnp shield plus these are guns that are very tiny that carry 10 plus rounds you can put a 12 round magazine into it almost anyone can conceal it in almost anything you're wearing so that would be my suggestion if you need something small yet you want to have something that you you can really fight with if you need to if you can make it work you know going with the industry standard like a glock 19 or a smith and wesson m&p gives you a lot more gun right they're usually much easier to shoot but they're bigger right they're mm-hmm. they're harder to carry so that's where i would I would steer people if you want to be serious about it, but you still need something small. Uh, this new breed of, um, they used to be called single stack guns, meaning it's a single stack of ammo. It's not really like that anymore. It's just with the engineering. Now it's sort of a stack and a half. So it's still a very tiny and thin gun yet, you know, with significant capacity in them, 10 rounds, Hmm. 12 rounds, et cetera. Those three that I just indicated, I, I would stick with them and you can't go wrong. Awesome. Awesome information. All right, so so let's hear the plugs. Where do people buy your book, uh, the the podcast, and and the blog, and, and anything else you want to point people towards? Yeah, you know what? Go to my blog, uh, which is reflexhandgun.com, because you can see my articles I write there. I also keep links out to all the articles I do elsewhere on USA Carry and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, you can buy the book right on that blog as well. So it's reflexhandgun.com. You can see my articles. There's a dedicated page to buy the book. So uh, if you want to get into the prepping scene and be prepared 
for violence of the mundane and ordinary or to really be prepared for where this country may be going, I would suggest the book, you know, pick up a copy. Leave me a review on Amazon. Nobody's reviewing my book. I know it's circulating all over, but, you know, even if it's a bad review, leave a review. Don't leave a bad review. Yeah. No, I don't think anybody will have a bad review. But if you feel like writing a bad review, fine, you can do that as well. But anyway, yeah, find everything there, reflexhandgun.com. I do all kinds of stuff focused on self-defense, specifically the handgun, but a lot of the preparedness stuff as well. All right. Well, thank you for your time today, Salvatore. Appreciate it. Very educational, and I'm sure everyone learned a lot. Thanks for having me back, John. I appreciate it. Hey, I want to tell you guys about another podcast. It's called the Daniel 3 Biblical Anarchy Podcast. It's hosted by friend of the show, Jacob Winograd. What is the podcast about? It is an ongoing evaluation of how a Christian should view the state and human authority. It dives into the principles of libertarianism, and it explores the entanglements between the church and the state in order to bring Christians and the church back to practicing the mantra of no king but Christ. There's episodes about philosophy, anarchism, politics, economics, and, of course, interviewing interesting guests. Check it out, the Daniel 3 Biblical Anarchy Podcast with Jacob Winograd. Thank you for tuning in for today's interview with Salvatore de Janeiro. As Salvatore talked about on the episode This is easily one of the most important topics uh, that we'll talk about on this show, Finding Freedom, if not far and away, and clearly the most important topic. If we lose our right to bear arms, if we lose our right to defend ourselves, everything else is going to fall by the wayside. So all of our focus needs to be put on preserving these rights and maximizing the amount of freedom um, that we have to express them. Now, we didn't just talk about guns with uh, Salvatore. We also talked about having the right mindset, having a mindset of self-reliance. And I know that's something that personally I've been focusing on quite a bit um, since you know we lived through the lockdowns and the, the pandemic mania and all of that madness. I hope you have too, and I hope that this podcast has lit a fire under you um, to explore different ways that you can expand upon your preparedness. So please go and pick up Salvatore's book. And uh, I look to be doing more interviews uh, in the future here um, focused on the need to be prepared. All right. Well, I wanted to thank uh, the new members that we've had recently join the Lions of Liberty Pride. You know, there's been so many who we've had, you know, longtime members and people come and go, but I'm always excited when we have new people jump on board. So if you yourself want to be one of those new people, there's two ways to join. You can join on Patreon at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty or on Locals. We're on Locals to lionsofliberty.locals.com. Um, with this access, you're going to get um, access to our private Facebook group. You're going going to get access to early interviews. You're going to be able to see a lot of our interviews conducted live, watch them live, comment live, ask questions, all of that good stuff. You get access to discounted merchandise. And then at certain levels, um, if you join at a high enough level, you can even impact the show and produce your own episode. So please would love to have you in the Lions of Liberty Pride. Um, It's something that Mark, Brian, and I really do enjoy. And it's really a part, it's a part of our growth strategy 
uh, and has been for a long time. So please, um, if you enjoy what we're doing here, uh, please consider supporting us. Well, guys, it's been an awesome episode this week. I hope you really enjoyed it as much as I did putting it together. And it's a beautiful weekend here in Western Pennsylvania coming up. Hopefully it's the same in your part of the country. Enjoy the summer. Enjoy the warm weather. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up when the fire's liberty burning.